Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us. Today, we are lucky to have on our show Brenton Webster. Uh, Brenton is the founder and CEO of a company called Fastbar Technologies. Uh, welcome to the show, Brenton. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. For sure. So uh, so tell us tell us about why we start with Fastbar. Like, Tell us how you what Fastbar does and how you got started with it and what inspired you to start it. And then, and then, uh, yeah, I, I always like to hear stories about what, what inspired somebody to start a company. Sure. Sure. That's kind of a longer story, but we'll start off with what it does first. Okay. So basically what we do is provide a high speed cashless payment system for events. Okay. So, I mean, everybody's been to an event, uh, whether it's like a geek wire event or a new year's Eve party or a concert, and you turn up and there's this massive long line to get to the bar. And one of the big problems is actually payment because a lot of bars that are not at um, established venues, like a lot of events have temporary bars. And so with a temporary bar, you typically don't have an established point of sale system. Instead, people take cash. They have these old school uh, credit card machines that they typically rent are very expensive and extremely slow. And so ultimately what Fastbar does is provide, uh, sort of eliminates all that friction at the bar. So when you arrive at the event, you get a wristband, it's linked up to your credit card. When you get to the bar, you can pay just by tapping. And so that transaction takes less than a second. And then at the end of the event, we'll automatically close you out with the credit card on file and send you an electronic receipt. Wow, that sounds really neat. And so you've done some pretty big events, right? We have actually, yeah. So uh, the biggest event we've done, we just we just wrapped up a couple months ago, which was actually uh, South by Southwest. Right. So um, Anheuser Busch is one of our customers, okay. and they approached us uh, to do an event for them at South by Southwest. In fact, it was a couple of events. Okay. Um, one of which was called the Budweiser Beer Garage. Budweiser Beer Garage. Yeah, garage. <laughs> I'll let you do the, uh, the, the the translation into American speak. <laughs> okay, so so okay, so tell us about it. Like how that was one of the bigger ones you did at South by Southwest. Yeah, that, that was that was a three day event wow. uh, for okay. Budweiser, okay. and it was basically kind of an experiential event um, at South by Southwest, and people would would turn up and they would be obviously sampling some some Budweisers, um, surprisingly enough, yep. and they would. There was some exhibits, and there was like a I think there was a little startup pitch competition, and a whole bunch of other stuff happening at that event. Um, and then the bigger one was actually called the Bud Light Factory, huh. and so that's where Bud Light took over this venue um, called Braza House, I think it was, down in Austin, really cool space. Okay. And they had this four-day concert series. So the first day was an evening concert. I think it started at 8 o'clock and then went through to about 2 a.m. The next day was uh, two concerts. So it started at 12 and then went through to 5 p.m. But then there was a couple of hours break, three-hour break, and then it restarted again at 8 p.m. So between the the four days, there was actually six different concerts. Um, And it was actually really cool. Uh, I have a background in sort of producing events as well. And I tell you what, that they spent a ton of money on this thing. Yeah. Um, just an insane, um, like this crazy LED wall, uh, which displays like images and graphics and all this kind of stuff. And they had some really good, um, so, some some really great artists and 
uh, yeah, it was it was a crazy event. Yeah, there was a lot really of people fun. come through. It was it was very popular. There was some huge lines for to get into some of the events. It was, right, it was crazy. So you probably, I mean, how many bracelets did you bring to South by Southwest? It must have been a huge number, like because everybody who comes in the venue gets the bracelet, right? That's tied to their card. Yeah, yeah. So there was over we issued over ten thousand bracelets for this wow. uh, for South by Southwest. Wow. So are these are these RFID? Is that how you do the tracking? Is that the the yeah, technology? Yeah. And um, it's, um, it's kind of the like uh, I don't know to take a step back. It, Joe, have you ever used anything like this where you get to charge things to like a wristband? They, they have it at like at Disneyland does it, and uh, we're at Great Wolf Lodge. They had something like that. Um, I think the cruise ships are doing it now. It's it's one of those things where like uh, the first time you do it, you realize wow, this is like this is a lot easier. It's it's one of those like it's almost like a like Uber. Like first time you take an Uber and you get in and out of an Uber without having to like get your credit card out. And you realize, hey, this this may be there, there may be something to this. Um, it's it's same, similar technology to that, but it's just available to to customers of yours, so, so you don't have to be a massive company to to adopt it. Yeah, exactly. So the actual underlying technology is um, is RFID or technically NFC, and so NFC is kind of you can think of that as a subset of overall RFID. Okay. Um, the technology that's in use at places like Disney is actually pretty sophisticated. And in fact, that in part provided some of the, the early inspiration for, for Fastbar. Um, so how Fastbar came about, long story short, uh, I have a background, I was at Microsoft and I, I left Microsoft to start an event ticketing company. And I did that because I started throwing these events. And I noticed there was a problem back in those days. Like there really wasn't any site to be able to sell tickets, and so I started this ticketing company. And as time progressed, like a lot of competition came in that specific area. But one of the problems that I kept running into at events was long bar lines. Right. And so I had this idea kind of bubbling around in the back of my mind for for a couple of years about how to solve this by connecting you know, a credit card to someone's wristband and sort of. Right making that whole process of, of payment just totally electronic. One of the things that people often do at events to try and speed up the bar lines is to use drink tickets. Right. And so that can speed up the transaction at the bar, but it often causes other challenges. Like, you know, you get to the bar and there's a green ticket, a red ticket, a blue ticket, a yellow ticket. You're like, which one am I supposed to be using here? Uh, uh, different for like beer, wine and, and spirits and all sure. that kind of stuff. And so essentially... Um, I had this idea in the back of my mind and then I heard about this uh, project called the Disney Magic Band. Mm. And so that's what that's what Disney uses at their uh, resort in Orlando. And basically it allows you to pay for stuff. You can actually check into your hotel, you can get into your hotel room, mm. you can get into the park. Uh, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff with this, this, this wristband. In fact, there's a, a restaurant in um, in Disney where if you download the app, you can actually kind of order ahead of time. Huh. So on the app, what a great idea! It's pretty cool. And yeah. then this is where it gets really crazy, though. So you order on the app, okay, no big deal. You get to the restaurant, they actually know who you are. So as you walk across the bridge, this right. particular restaurant has a bridge that that you use to get to it. As you walk across the bridge, the hostess actually just greets you by name, like they know exactly 
exactly who you are. You know, your details pop up on their screen essentially, and how they do, say, wait, "How do they?" Because the wristband announces sort of to them who you are. So they, yeah, okay. The the Disney wristband is very sophisticated. It has really a couple of key pieces of technology. It, it has uh, NFC for like the short range payments, right? But it also has an RFID chip in there that can be read from a greater distance. Okay. So anyone in Seattle who drives across the 520 is familiar with the tolling system, right? And so you get this thing called a good-to-go pass, and that's basically RFID. Okay. But instead of having to be really close, like you do with with a payment-based thing, like a fast bar type thing, right. it's read from a distance because and and at speed as well. And so Disney has that kind of technology. The, the two kinds of technology built into to the wristband, right. so they can do close range payments, but they can also actually track where people are in the park. Mm. So when you arrive at the restaurant, they know that you're there. They also say, "Go ahead and sit wherever you like." So you go sit down somewhere in the restaurant, and then, like quote unquote magic, your food just arrives, like it turns up. Yeah. And so that's it's an extremely powerful. Uh, technology and and really for Disney it's it's less about the technology it's all about the experience right I mean, uh, imagine that kind of experience right you turn up to the restaurant they know who you are yeah. you've already ordered ahead of time you sit down wherever you like and then your food just shows up just like magic yeah that sounds really nice that's I have not been to Disneyland since they adopted those bands hey Mike weren't you there recently no I haven't been but I, I have friends that have been and I've heard heard about the process they have it kind of in depth and it sounds like like one of the nice things that Disney does is they you, you book your vacation with them and how many days you're going to be there. And then this package arrives in the mail with all of the all of the wristbands. And from what I understand, it's kind of a – it almost has like an Apple-like feel to like the quality of the packaging. And you open it up and it feels like something kind of special. Um, yeah. and, then, and then, you know, so it's all taken care of before you get there and you just show up with your wristband and, you know, there's there's no friction. And, and it, it really – it does make me think of like Uber because it's one of those things where um, – you know, the first time you take Uber, I don't know if you haven't actually used Uber, you don't quite realize why it's that different or what the big deal is. It's like, oh, well, you, you know, it takes away maybe a few steps out of the process. But then once you get used to not having those steps, it starts to feel really clunky to have to, like, get a credit card out and, and do things. And you start to realize that, you know, 10 years from now, probably, you know, things are going to be a lot, a lot more, um, you know, there's going to be a lot more bracelet related things stuff stuff to kind of take away a few payment steps just to kind of smooth transactions one question i have uh is around where where this business is going do you do you worry uh brenton about about the eventual replacement of these wristbands with with phones that are in people's pockets is that is the timeline for wristbands as the technology uh limited in some way or how how do you see that will you transition to something else if the time comes or I don't know. Do you have any concerns about building a business around the wristbands, knowing that at some point, you know, this this may be more ubiquitous? There may be like one wristband that works across lots of different things. Yeah, I think um, for us, the the wristband is really just a vehicle, and it it happens to be the most practical vehicle today, um, and it's really just a vehicle for an identifier. And so today, the wristband has many many advantages versus a phone. Anybody who's used Apple Pay uh, and tried to set it up, like I, I set up Apple Pay on my phone and I literally had to call my bank. Like they, I couldn't set it up just by punching it into the, the phone. For some reason I had to call my bank. Still to this day, 
some of the credit cards in my wallet I can't put on Apple Pay because the banks don't support them for whatever reason. So if you think about the state of mobile wallets today and kind of where things are at there, it's it's very, very early and there's still a lot of friction there. Um, if you look at the adoption numbers on Apple Pay, it's actually really low, a very low percentage. I think last time I checked, it was around 15% of people who could use Apple Pay, which is actually a very limited number because it's it has to be restricted to an iPhone 6 or above or uh, an, an Apple Watch, which has to be paired with, with an iPhone, I think, 5-something rather or above. But th- there's a very limited segment of the market who can use it and then of those who've who's used it uh, a very small number and then there's also an even tinier percentage of repeat users so a lot of people kind of try it and then then it kind of fades away now I, I do think that over time that's going to change and I think that the phone is going to become generally speaking a more uh, accepted mechanism of, of payment but it's it's going to take a long time for that to happen the biggest challenge today that I see with, with anybody trying to do payments via the phone is there's just a lot of friction and setup required. Um, so if you think about the Apple Pay experience, which is probably the best mobile phone pay experience, it takes time for me to set it up. I have to kind of understand it. Uh, my bank has to support it. And that is a problem if the bank doesn't support it. But if you think about an event environment, imagine... 3,000 people turn up for this event and at the beginning of the event all of a sudden everybody's got to try and like configure Apple Pay or Google Pay or download some app and set things up it's just completely impractical and then you have issues like you know what happens when it's 11 o'clock at night and I've been on my phone all day and now my phone's run out of battery but I'm at an event I have a brick in my pocket and it's not useful for anything. And so I think people who are trying to rely on that, uh, especially in the event environment, it it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, There are benefits and certainly from a a retail environment, like if I'm going to the shops and I want to pay for lunch or I want to buy some jeans or something like that, sure, it can be beneficial. um, But... I think it's it's very impractical in many ways today. But having said that, um, like I said, so coming back to what I said before, for us, the the wristband it, it just carries an identifier, and over time that identifier could just become us. Like imagine if when you arrive at the event you could register yourself and connect your credit card up to your face or you know your fingerprint. I mean, some events actually do use fingerprints. I think it's probably I'm not sure people are really ready for that. I think there's maybe a privacy concern or something there. Um, but uh, imagine if it was just facial recognition. So when you arrive at the bar, the the bartender knows exactly who you are and that drink can automatically be charged to your account. So uh, I think over time that mechanism is definitely going to change. For us, uh, that's totally fine because really the wristband is just just that vehicle that carries the identifier and what we do is provide the entire kind of on-site event commerce system so it's it's the wristband but it's it's also the point of sale and it's the registration you know software and and experience and probably most importantly it's like the back-end analytics and all of the data 
that we can provide to our customers to help them run their business better. Yeah, that's an interesting thing about your business. Is is it? Um, and, and not to not to um, not to downplay the technology aspect of it, but the technology could probably be achieved in other ways. It's it's building what you're building is more about establishing some experience and the ability to show up and and get this stuff working for people at a particular event that you know if they wanted they could probably figure out a way to do their own RFID or their own near field communication or they could try to figure out how to use Apple Pay but but um you know I, I think most companies don't want to do that they they'd rather hire somebody to come in and do it and and it sounds like you're you're situating yourself to kind of be the expert in that space regardless of what the technology moves to um you're not you're not betting on a specific technology that somehow you know, massively proprietary to you. It's probably more about learning how to how to do this in the in the um, the event environment. So I, it sounds like you're you're on the right on the right path. You probably will know more about where this stuff is going than anybody. Um, so when it comes to like adopting the next thing, you'll you'll uh, you'll be situated, and you already have a nice big customer base to to roll that stuff out to. So kudos, kudos to you. I, I think it's a great a great business to be in it seems like it's without a doubt when you use technology like this you realize this is where things will be going um so uh so yeah it's really really a a smart move tell me about the business model what is if somebody wants to be a customer let's say they're having an event and they want to come to you to have to buy a solution that will allow them to do this kind of uh frictionless payments what does that look like for them do they do they buy a package from you do you do do charge by the event or by the bracelet what's the business model look like so it depends on the event, uh, but essentially it's a scalable cost based on the size and scope of the event. So for some events, we do uh, more of a per attendee charge, um, particularly for events that don't necessarily involve payments. So as an example, um, South by Southwest, uh, that didn't involve payments. It's all about the experience. It's about um, you know Anheuser-Busch and Budweiser being able to understand like how many drinks did we did we give away at this event it's also about legal enforcement so um the wristbands that we gave out had a limit in terms of the number of drinks and if you think about how that would be achieved in the past it would be like drink tickets and you can run into a situation you guys are lawyers so this will definitely uh, resonate with you guys um but imagine if somebody goes around and collects 20 drink tickets from their friend and then drinks you know a few too many then they leave and they like drive and crash and hurt somebody it's a huge liability problem right and as anheuser-busch like you don't you can't be doing that obviously um not only that but the liquor control laws in most states are very strict and they they don't allow a lot of those kind of big drinking huge open bar type events Mm. um so you've got the the regulators and and whatnot the the law who doesn't want things to get out of control but you've also got the company anheuser-busch is putting on who doesn't want things to get out of control they want people to have a good time and and do it responsibly a wristband that's secure that can't come off and that's limited uh in terms of what people can get is hugely beneficial for them yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's a really nifty thing. And I, I agree. I, anything you can do to reduce friction, like anywhere, anywhere is a great – it seems like anywhere you can reduce friction, you, you're on a, under a good business model. Um, to me, it's, it seems like the uh, – I mean, Uber did it for for taxis or, 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 you know, limousines. And then, you know, Amazon basically reduces friction for just everyday shopping. Yeah. It's weird. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive in a way. Like I, I've always thought – 
um, sometimes when it comes to innovation on things that, that let's say you're going to just create a slightly better version of something that you really, you know, it's, it's not enough to, like if you want to compete with existing players, that it's not enough to show up in the market with a slightly better version of what they do. Like you really have to crush it. Otherwise, you know, the momentum that they have having like an existing customer base is going to be hard to compete with. Um, but then you see something like Uber where you, they do something that seems relatively minor, like take the payment piece out so that you don't have to think about it. And like it turns out that that's such a significant change and, and that the, the frictionless side of it is so attractive that even though before you use it, you might look at it and say, well, that's kind of a minor thing. Like uh, it really is like a game changer. So same thing with like payments. Sometimes these little things that just reduce a little bit of friction, you might think, hey, that seems like just a subtle improvement to the existing thing. But um, when you're doing the same process over and over again and you save time every time, it sort of starts to become a bigger, a bigger deal. Um, yeah, I, I think you're 100% right with that Uber example as well. I mean, it's some people could look at Uber and think, oh, it's just removing the, the hassle of payment. But that's actually a really big hassle. Like yeah. it, when you, you're in the taxi in the olden days, you're in the taxi, you get to the airport, you're running late, and now you've got another two minutes while the guy fishes out his little clickety-clack machine right. to try and, you know, take your credit card in print because his electronic thing is not working. Uh, it's, it's just such a hassle. And then layer on top of that, um, you know, when, when you used to call a taxi, like I haven't called a taxi in I don't know how long now, but in the past, like you go to call a taxi and they'd be like, oh, yeah, it'll be there in 10 minutes. And 15 minutes later, nothing is happening. And you have no idea, like you don't know where they are. Uh, you call back the taxi company and then you're on hold for another 10 minutes. And then finally you get to talk to someone and they're like, oh, yeah, it's on its way. It's like, where is it? Like it, <laughs> the whole process was just so utterly broken. Yeah. And I think that's why Uber became so so successful and so popular is it, on the surface it, it does seem kind of minor and I remember um, back when Uber was sort of being legalized like UberX was being legalized in Seattle and there was a lot of discussions with you know the, the council and people that the taxi lobby was trying to vote against it and, and all this kind of stuff and um, I, I don't normally post a lot of activism type things on Facebook or anything like that but in this particular case, uh, I saw that this process was just so broken. So I started rallying, you know, my friends and people that I knew to to sign the petitions to be able to get um, Uber legalized. Because that the argument at the time from the taxi guys was like, oh, it's just a it's just a better way to call the taxi. And I'm like, and it's just an app based way to call the taxi to hail the taxi. I'm like, no, no, you guys don't understand. Like, it's just the whole process of the taxi system is completely and utterly broken. And Uber came along and just 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 fixed those somewhat minor things. But the, the minor things made up this huge difference in experience. Yeah. And that's where I think um, they really shine. And I think anything that does that, like Amazon, it's the same kind of thing. You know, it's it just removes friction. Yeah. No, it's a wonderful thing to think about it. I, I think... Um, you know, I actually think one of the really significant innovations of our time was the ATM machine. <laughs> think yeah. about that. I mean, that was like the precursor to Uber. That was the precursor to Amazon. I mean, you never no longer had to go into a bank. Yeah. Talk to somebody. You wait in line to talk to somebody about your own money. You're kidding me. Yeah. It's insane. Have you, have you seen like, go, go off 
off topic, but uh, have you seen some of the new ATMs that are pretty imp- – like the ATM that I use now, I can stick checks into it, like a big stack of checks, and it will huh. just scan the checks and deposit them into my account. I don't have to fill out a uh, deposit slip. They're just like – it's just a slot that you you tell it I want to deposit some checks, and then you make a big stack of the checks, and you just slide it into this like rolling machine that, that sucks the checks in. And then wow. it just thinks about it for a while, and it does uh, optical character recognition. It figures out what the checks are worth, and it just kind of like shows you pictures of them on the screen, and you're done. So you don't even really have to talk to somebody to like deposit checks anymore. It's pretty impressive. Um, awesome. I, I love that. I just don't. I don't want to have to fill out forms, and I don't want to have to stand in line, and I don't want to talk to a person. <laughs> it's, it's it's really great. Yeah, I mean, if you think about our daily lives, there's there's so much inefficiency and right. a lot of the times we just kind of take it for granted be like oh it's just just the way that it is but um eventually that inefficiency is going to go away like uber got rid of that inefficiency when it comes to you know calling taxis and if, if you look at their kind of longer term vision and where they're heading and i think where the industry is heading with like driverless cars right. um that to me is like really exciting because i can I mean, think think about that, right? Imagine if there's now driverless cars all around Seattle. Yeah. So you don't need parking garages anymore. They can go away. You can use that space for something else. The cars can just descend on the places where they're needed because you'd be able to figure this out with machine learning. Like, it's 8 o'clock on a Monday. Like, where are people coming from? Where are they going to? Right. You, you would know those general patterns. Right. And then once that people get dropped off at work, the cars, some of them hang around the city and just cruise around and other ones just go out of the city and just like hang out somewhere, like big, massive driverless car parking lots. (laughs) And then they just come back when they're needed. Yeah. I I wonder what that means for the, uh, for the car business. Like I hadn't really thought about it, but, um, but so like right now, one of the inefficiencies that the driverless car stuff will help prevent is that most of these cars just sit like so everybody spends a ton of money on cars it's like this this equipment and the this capital investment that everyone makes to have these cars built and then you know purchased and then they mostly just sit in your garage all the time or they sit at where you work in a garage yeah. or in a parking lot so so I'm all this sitting money in this garage spent, right now yeah so so there's all this like h- hardware and capital that's being spent to build these things that are really only being used a little bit at the time. What happens if, if we do have driverless cars and they take over so that people don't really need their own cars, what does that do to the number of cars on the road? Which is, it's great for the number of cars on the road and traffic and congestion, but it, I wonder, you know, if one car can serve 10 people because most of the time cars are just sitting, you know, does, does that reduce the number of cars that get purchased by 10, 10x? I mean, what's that do? What does that do to the car industry if, if all yeah. of a sudden... You know, every car you sell really is serving ten or twenty people, as opposed to just one. Yeah, I, I think the car industry is in for a world of pain. Yeah, I mean, they can I mean, charge it, it more. They can charge more for a driverless car than a dri- than a than a manual car, but but so how one, much more? So one place where we really need to reduce friction in our economy is when you go to actually buy gas for your car. I, I'm astounded at how long it takes me. How many buttons do I have to press? Yeah. How many codes do I have to enter? You know, it's just annoying. It, t- it takes me like I don't know. A, a long time to pay for gas at the gas station. Somebody needs to put fast bar you know, on the gas, this is, on the gas uh, station. This ties right back into the, the convenience and the frictionless stuff. Like, so we have a we have a Nissan Leaf. Um, yeah. My wife and I. That's like kind of our second car. 
and um, and she was kind of the, the driving force behind getting that car. And I, I don't know, I kind of liked that it would be less expensive to drive, but I didn't realize until it happened, like how much I appreciate not having to go to the gas station. Like you don't, you don't think of that as a reason to buy an electric car, but literally just never having to go to the gas station and just kind of plugging in, in your garage. Um, it's, it's such a huge, I just, it's one of those little things that I hate having to do. And then you buy a car that uses electricity and all of a sudden you don't have to do it. And you didn't even, you didn't even realize, you know, how much you'd love that. Of course, there's a service now that'll actually come to your house and fill your car with gas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really? I mean, that's a, yeah. yeah, that's a great I forgot, idea. I forgot the name of it, but it's a, it's a new thing. Yeah, it's I was saying that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a different way to remove the friction, but removing the friction nonetheless, right? All right. So, yeah. Pretty funny. Yeah. So what? Okay. So fast bar sounds super cool. What about these uh, these bracelets? Can they receive money? I mean, can you design a bracelet that can can receive funds? So, so I was, the reason I think about this is because um, it strikes me there are a lot of people. Um, I mean, there are lots of like community projects that we'd like to accomplish. Like, you, you you walk around the city all the time, and you think, "Gosh, you know, it'd be really nice." And you know, if we could clean up that corner, or you know, we could plant some nice plants in that in that area, or whatever. But you're like, uh, "That's not my property. I don't know who owns that property." You know, who knows? Maybe the city's responsible for it and doesn't maintain it or something. Mm-hmm. But I had this idea that you could like. You could like uh, you could basically crowdsource, crowdfund, you know, community improvement projects like really easily, like through an app or a phone or something. And you basically say, hey, look, you know, I'm I'm willing to ship in a couple hundred bucks if we can, you know, plant some plants and do some nice things. Mm-hmm. Maybe some other people chip in some money. And then what would be cool is like whoever just showed up to do the work would just like have some kind of payment show up on their mm-hmm. bracelet. I mean, sort of remove or or another idea would be. I mean, maybe this is a stupid idea, but I mean, just like, hey, we pay people, or or we we we're trying to encourage certain types of behavior. I mean, we could just like instead of having this huge bureaucracy, we could just have money to show up on people's bracelets or accounts when they did things that were we we wanted them to do. So the thing, or something. the thing that's brilliant, think, the thing that's brilliant about Fastbar versus kind of like a bigger solution is that. What you're describing is, would be awesome, but would require so much coordination across the public as as a whole, right? So, like, I think what Brenton did was really br- brilliant in a sense that he took this technology that's kind of hard to implement because it requires everybody to be on board with it, and then adopt it in a context where it's easy to control that that you know group of people. So, like events, like it, you know, everybody at the event is going to go through some kind of registration process, so you can create this weird ecosystem where everybody is on board. Um, you know, because imagine in your scenario, like you go up to somebody to have them help you with a project in your yard and you try to go pay them and then they just say, well, I don't, I don't have that. I don't have that bracelet. And now you're just back to paying them cash again. It's, um, it's such a huge challenge to try to figure out how to get everybody onto one system. Um, and so this thing with, with being just at events is that like you can bypass that entire like network problem and, and, uh, and just go straight to an environment where you can make it, make it work. That, that, that's exactly right. So we, we focus on a, obviously a very small kind of niche, well, it's not small, but a, a specific niche scenario where we can make this work. If, if you take a step back and you think about the broader trends in the industry, that's the thing that actually really excites me. If you look at in 10 years' time, like the way that we pay for stuff is just going to be fundamentally different. We've got Apple Pay and we've got Google Pay and movements to get the phone to be more of a payment device. Um, we've got things like Venmo where you can easily transfer money, Square Cash, you can easily transfer money between people. The whole payments industry 
is probably long overdue for going through a serious refresh. And the way that I look at it, uh, when we go to an event in 10 years' time, like you go to a Seahawks event, we're actually we're in Joe's office right now, and we have uh, a great view of CenturyLink Field here. Um, you go to a Seahawks game, I, mean, I see a world where, as a season ticket holder, you have a, a wristband on, maybe like a, a Fitbit-style right. wristband, like nice branded you know, Seahawks branding. You use that. That is your ticket. You tap it to get into the venue. Uh, the special fast lane setup. You go, you tap to buy stuff, your food, your beverage, your merchandise. Um, the stadium can get better information about movement patterns and like where people are in the stadium, where do they tend to congregate. I'm sure they have some data on this now, but they would just get far better information and be able to provide a better experience for people. And I think the whole world is going that way. Like eventually there will be no cash. Like it's just it's sort of on the way out. It's going to take a long time, but that's where that's where things are heading. And I think that's that's a really interesting thing for me is I really believe we're on the beginning of a wave of change in technology in the way that we pay for stuff. Ah, it sounds it sounds really exciting. I I, I uh, yeah I, I don't know I keep, I keep thinking about this idea of just like people just like when they do something that we want them to do they just money just shows up on their bracelet. I keep thinking yeah. about this idea. I don't know who knows maybe it's a bad idea. Well, like you're you're probably right. The context like it's super smart what you've done, right? You've chosen a context in which you know there's a clear need. Whereas my generalized idea is just too amorphous to actually probably. I mean, there's no instance like we've got to think of a context in which to try something like this. That's true. The context is required, but I think the the broad concept is still very interesting. And that's like how do you how do you reduce that friction of like paying for stuff? And so you talked about right. two friction points, like how how could you crowdsource. Uh, people to to want to make something happen, make it really easy for them to do that, and then easy for someone to fulfil. And so there's a couple of different elements there, but ultimately it's all about removing that friction. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah. I think I I, I want to take this too far topic, but I think I think there are a number of places where um, you would like to have a certain type of service um, provided to you, or your family, or your workmates, or whatnot, but um, the only way you can do that is through some sort of uh, collaboration to pay for it because, I mean, one person alone couldn't pay for it, but a, a large group of people could. But there's, I mean, maybe they have to each commit to raise a certain amount of money before you can secure the, the benefit or the service that you want. Mm -hmm. And right now, like, that's a hard kind of a problem. Um, funding projects that require, you know, funding from a lot of people to bring to life, just, I mean, the tools just don't, I mean, there's just not, there's, they're evolving quickly, but I mean, right now I don't know if they're really, really super simple ones that reduce the friction. Mike, I don't know. I don't know what you think. Do you think um, uh, this is just too amorphous? Yeah, I think it just needs. Um, yeah, I think it's. It sounds like a great idea. The problem being that that it's um, a big idea, and that's you know not that's not a bad thing. It's just. Uh, you know, it's it's uh it's more it's an ambitious ambitious goal. If you try to if you're trying to adopt, to create technology that assumes everyone's going to use it, then you've got to you've got to really hit it out of the park. Um, right. So it's it's you know it, the question is it's a great idea. Is is it um I don't know. It just seems like it would require a lot of capital and, and a lot of effort, which isn't not not a knock on it. Um, it's just kind of a different approach. Sure. So yeah. Brian, getting back to fast forward. So you guys are doing business like. 
what are your do you have geographical constraints somewhere you're doing business or could anyone anywhere in the country call you and say hey, we have an event yeah. Come, come help us out. You're you're nationwide. You're you'll help anybody if the, the event is sufficiently sized. And basically, yeah. I mean, we're a startup, so we're scrappy. We'll go do whatever we need to do. Uh, if we've done events now in Seattle, obviously, uh, Melbourne, Australia, L.A., Chicago, New York, Atlanta, uh, um, Austin, South by Southwest, obviously. Probably a few other places I'm yeah. forgetting as well. Um, so we've done events all over the place, and for us, um, yeah, like if customers need us and they call us up, like we'll figure out if if we can make it work, we'll, we'll be there. So the best the best place for them to find you if they want to, someone's listening and they want to find you right now to talk to you about an event. Where, where's the best place for them to go get your data, your information? The our website is getfastbar. G E T F A S T bar.com so that's probably the best place yep yeah it looks super it sounds like a super fun thing you're you're, you're doing i mean you gotta be, you gotta be president it's probably some pretty fun events well actually it was really cool the um the south by southwest event yeah. because we obviously had all access passes because we're running around like crazy to making this event work and there was two of us down there um and i like i said over the course of the week there was you know 10,000 people went through and used Fastbar. So it was a very busy week for us. But it was actually really cool to um, hang out backstage. And there's the, at, at this Bud Light factory in South By, they had just a ton of artists coming through. Like every concert would have like maybe four or five artists. Huh. Um, uh, like the, the last day, Ashanti okay. was playing and uh, Naughty by Nature. So some pretty big names. And we would see them rehearsing like they'd you know they'd be doing their sound check that the, the bigger ones would kind of do their sound check during the day like ashanti and yep. naughty by nature so we'd see that and then um you know we could be like backstage and side of stage as they were performing and it, it was pretty it was a cool experience it's definitely a fun gig no doubt um a lot of work uh, and and especially with that event there's so many moving parts to to keep keep everything running right. but yeah it worked out great wow and so just to, it just it just took two of you to deploy that many that many bracelets and to do the do that many events with that many people that's pretty that's pretty nice yeah so there's there's some of the staff at the event for example oh, they're called brand ambassadors yeah and so uh we would basically train the brand ambassadors okay. on this is how you give out the wristband and activate it and whatnot okay. Uh, when we give the wristband, we grab people's cell phone numbers so that we can text them their updates and, and receipts okay. and stuff. Okay. And uh, the brand ambassadors would do that. So we would basically manage that process and we would um, you know, manage the setup of the bar. And yep. ultimately, uh, we see that kind of scaling, a lot of that effort scaling through partners. Okay. And um, we'll kind of become the the system in the back end that keeps the zeros and ones flowing in the right direction right right but um yeah for the moment we're at at the events to make sure everything works well and yep. get our plans together on how we how we scale it yep uh, over time well super fun well thanks thanks a lot for coming on the show um really really appreciate it so the the website if you're interested in, in using fastbar for an event is getfastbar.com and uh you can email brenton and ask him, uh, ask him what you're doing. Ask him how he can help. And it sounds, it sounds like uh, it, you wouldn't want to do an event, frankly, of any significant size, without something like this. 
Pretty much. I mean, even for smaller events, the the experiential benefits can be really key. Yeah. Uh, we have one customer we're chatting with right now. Um, they're a, uh, an event production company here in town, and they do a uh, like an experiential event for one of their clients who happens to be a large tech company in town. And we're chatting with them about Fastbar. And for them, it's not really um, necessarily the payment. In fact, this event is a it's a uh, it's a, it's a free event, but people use like virtual credits on, okay. on the wristband to go do things, yep. um, which is pretty cool. And again, it's it's not just that payment thing. It's it's the experience that they can provide to people. Right. And it's also removing friction and removing hassle. And so for smaller events, um, it's really about the experience. For larger events, it can be both about the experience and about really increasing the revenue uh, because, because you remove that friction and if, if there's a, a line that's 20 minutes long and you've had one beer, you're probably going to be like, well, I don't really need that second beer after all. I'm not right. going to wait in that line for 20 minutes. Yep. Um, but when you can allow people to move through the line quicker, then you know they sell more. So, Yeah. Like, have you been able to collect some data on like just volume? Like the, we have. Of, yeah. yeah. So industry standard you know you see about a 15 to 35 40 percent increase in sales wow. by using cashless um, for us we've seen I think 20 percent has been about the minimum okay. um, but we usually see a significant increase I mean one event we did uh, earlier this year there was an 87 percent increase in fast bar spend versus the equivalent cash spend. Huh, wow um, and again it's just it's purely based off the the convenience factor right. and the lines for people. Like people just don't want to wait in lines yeah. and have to go through all of that hassle. So, yeah, I mean, at, at, at really large events at scale, you can probably expect a fifteen to you know forty ish, thirty five, forty percent increase. Uh, but that's that's pretty significant if you think about you know a thirty thousand person event where that over the course of three or four days, perhaps they're doing you know, millions of dollars in revenue, right. and they can bump that up by thirty percent. It's a nice, uh, nice hefty increase there for them. Yeah, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Yeah, interesting. Well, super fun to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming coming by and joining us. No worries. Thanks for, for having us. me. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is great stuff. And uh, and for everyone else, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.